sometimes when I talk about my play in childhood and people say, well, what did you do? I was playing, right? I was, maybe one day I was trying to move a rock for two hours. I have a friend who we, for an entire summer, just tried to get this log across a pond. And we were obsessed. Every day that was all we wanted to do. And we talked about it. We tried to figure out how will we get it around there. We, you know, every time we tried to, to straddle it, it would spin. So we couldn't ride the log. We had to, so that's what, when I say play, that's what I mean. And that's in contrast to sports and games, which I think are also wonderful, but it's much different than when you're able to use your imagination and make things up and make decisions rather than following something with rules. Här har vi dagens gäst, lekdesignen Cass Holman, en av våra stora inspirationskällor. Det här är Arvidsson Talks, en podcast där vi grottar ner oss i våra gemensamma platser. Jag heter Veronica Heidelind. Och jag heter Chris Jonsson Jones. Arvidsson Talks är ju en podd där vi undersöker våra gemensamma platser. Varför ska vi då göra en intervju med en leksaksdesigner? Ja, det är ju för att vi hela tiden hittar så himla mycket spännande och intressant kopplat till ämnet lek. Allt från frågor om barns plats i den allthätare staden till nyskapande lekmiljöer och inte minst då alla intressanta människor som jobbar med de här frågorna och går i bräschen för förändring. Som den amerikanska designern Cass Holman alltså. Ja. Vi upptäckte ju Cass i Netflix-dokumentären Abstract, The Art of Design som kom 2019. Och efter det så återkommer vi ofta till henne i prat om allt från design och kreativitet till samhällsengagemang. Och förutom det verkar hon ju också vara en sån supercool person. Det tog det oss ju ett tag att få liksom kontakt med henne, men till slut så... Hi Cass and welcome to our podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. And we just uh, dive right into it and ask you if you could tell us uh, the short version of who Cass Holman is and what you do for a living. Yes, uh, I'm Cass Holman and I design for play. And that could be play spaces or play things, toys, learning materials, playgrounds, any number of, of kind of ways that play is the outcome of things that I design. Um, and usually when I when I start a project, it's kind of unclear what the what the the facilitating design will be, but the outcome is always to facilitate play of some kind. How come you started working with play as a designer? My work has always been playful. And uh, when I was at Cranbrook uh, in graduate school, I started thinking more about play and childhood and kind of was was reacquainted with the way that education and kind of childhood was at that time. Um, you know, I was 28 years old and didn't have children. So I, I was a little out of touch with, with what was going on in school and childhood and kind of quickly realized that children's lives were at least uh, in the U.S., but also a global trend toward less and less open-ended time for children. Increasingly, there were activities scheduled and children weren't allowed to kind of just do their own thing and find their own adventures, which of course, in doing so, in finding their own ventures and, and deciding what they want to do next and kind of keeping themselves occupied, there, it's, there's so many rich uh, skills that are built with, you know, the, the group of kids in the neighborhood who all have to figure out together, how are we going to 
play, like, what are we going to play if we have one baseball, seven kids and this, you know, tiny parking lot. So they on the spot have to negotiate and collaborate and invent a game and then kind of make up the rules as they go. And there's such rich skills and, and uh, experience that comes up from that. So I think that that's a very valuable part of of growing up and becoming and understanding who you are and understanding other people and starting to to regulate your emotions and your social skills and so as I kind of realized that that a lot of of the opportunities that I I think make us into really uh, aware and good adults <laughs> contributing. Um, uh, just uh, empathetic and ethical adults. Uh, a lot of that we get from childhood, and I think that a lot of the, the play that was changing was uh, was something that I saw that I, I could design for. What is play in your view, and why is it important? Well, I see play as as very similar to sleep and eating and um, staying hydrated. <laughs> Um, I, needing sunlight to some extent, I think that um, that it's a vital part of of uh, being healthy and being human, and it it happens in in a number of ways. I think that there's uh, I find myself having kind of playful thinking and playful conversations in uh, in letting something not kind of have utility or, or need to make a decision, but kind of yeah, being lots of ways that we can be playful and. But for me, when I use the word play specifically in, in how I design, um, it's it's the it's an open-ended uh, and free play. So open-ended play is play without uh, any desired outcome or any kind of goal in mind, and uh, free play is is kind of in, in intuitively chosen or intrinsically motivated. I think is one of the terms that the Adventure uh, playground play workers in the UK use a lot that 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 free play is personally directed, uh, intrinsically motivated, and freely chosen. So you're deciding what to do, how to do it, and and at what pace and and what it means. So that's what when I say play, um, that's what I mean, and that's in contrast to sports and games, which I think are also wonderful and and part of you know they're a great play, but it's much different than when you're able to use your imagination and make things up and make decisions rather than following something with rules and, and whatnot. Den här utgångspunkten som Cass har till sitt arbete, den fria lek som hon beskriver som lika viktig, nödvändig som att sova och äta och som barn liksom drar igång spontant utan inblandning av vuxna med hjälp av sin fantasi och kreativitet tillsammans med andra- den återkommer ofta när man pratar med folk som arbetar och forskar om lek. Mm. Jag tänker på Asbjörn Flemmen, norrmannen och lekexperten- som beskriver det som att i leken lär barn sig hantera alla aspekter av livet- och den är själva förutsättningen för demokratin. Eller som Cass uttryckte det i Netflix-dokumentären- If we can play together, we can live together. Mm, så fint. Hon beskriver ju också hur hon designar för så kallad open-ended play- 
det säga leksaker som kräver att barnen själva skapar och hittar ett sammanhang i lek som inte har förbestämda regler. Och det känner vi också igen. Mm. Free play säger man i den engelska playworker-traditionen. Till exempel det playworken Penny Wilson vill kunna erbjuda i Assembles lekmiljö i Kings Cross i London som vi har skrivit om i vårt nyhetsbrev. Den spontana leken som uppkommer när barnen själva styr. Den design Cass är mest känd för är Rigamajig, en samling byggmaterial som barn kan använda för att skapa riktigt avancerade byggen och konstruktioner och som kräver både samarbete, fantasi och gott om utrymme. Rigamajig, det är ett riktigt ord. Ja, eller? men det är tydligen det jag var tvungen att kolla. Och det är alltså någonting, en pryl som man glömt bort vad det heter. Då säger man, ja men en sån där Rigamajig. Okay. Sen arbetar ju Cass också med Angie Play. Ett helt system av olika lekredskap designade för frilek som utvecklats i en region i östra Kina där kopior av Rigamajig användes. Några amerikaner som jobbade i regionen uppmärksammade Cass på det och hon inledde ett samarbete med grundaren av Angie Play, Miss Chang. Ja, men grunden för allt Cass Holmans arbete är hennes förmåga att på riktigt relatera till barn och barns behov. I would say I'm mostly... Um... For me, I I think I relate to children more than I relate to adults, <laughs> which has kind of always been the case. Even as a child, I looked at adults and was like, I don't understand you at all. And then as I became an adult, I continued to not understand us. So I, I relate to children quite a bit and I have very, very rich memories of, of childhood, but I try not to project my experience as some ideal that I'm trying to recreate for other children because there's... You know, I grew up in the woods, but I know a lot of people who grew up in New York City and had very rich play lives. And, you know, they have incredible social skills that I don't have because I grew up in the woods and and I have incredible uh, tree climbing skills. <laughs> no, but but a, a different type of experience than they do. But it's all like it takes all kinds. I think the place I tend to start is the 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 people that I'm working with, my partners or collaborators or clients. Um, are always people with a lot of experience with children or a, ch- a children's space or public programming. And so they'll come to me and, and kind of say, you know, uh, how can we engage like the entire family in this in this space or in this activity or event? Um, and then we'll go from there. Working with Ms. Chung, we were, uh, with Anji Play, we were talking a lot about um, emotional regulation and conflict resolution. Yeah. You originally designed Rigamajig for Friends of the High Line, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what is it today? Could you describe what it is? Yeah, the um uh so for the Friends of the High Line it was a kind of a pop-up playground. Um the High Line is a is a elevated railroad um in lower Manhattan in New York City that was abandoned um kind of post-industrial waste as it were and then uh reclaimed as a city park as a as a public park we decided that a pop-up playground that could move along the high line and that they could also share with neighboring schools um was the best way to go so we uh in in thinking about the space and that it's kind of um has a relationship to industry and it's a railroad we um decided to, to kind of have building materials Um, that looked like kind of debris, um, and also that's that that is a little bit 
in a reference to some of my experience as a kid, we, whenever we came across um, a, uh, like a construction site or something, that was just a gold mine of things to play with. And then similarly, the, the adventure playgrounds and workyards um, in the UK uh, were very much inspiration. They're just piles of things that kids do whatever they want with. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so from there, we kind of, you know, we figured out, well, it can't really be a pile of hammers and nails based on what the kind of park needs. And we want it to be really special so that it has its own kind of identity associated with the park. Um, and so we developed this modular kit of planks that range from um, 12 inches to 48 inches and uh, there's wooden, they're, they're solid wood, they're very heavy. And then these custom bolts that I designed, which don't need a tool at all. So children can, can you just use their hands and screw and unscrew and fasten in brackets and pulleys and so all kinds of hardware. And they, it worked. They just, they, they dove in and, and played and built. So they build something and then play in it and, so it may have started as a little lemonade stand and then it needed a doorknob. So then they had to build some more and then they pretend in it. And then all of a sudden it's a boat and then it's a spaceship. So it, it's, and every time that it trans like their imagination or their kind of pretend play transforms it, then they get to like build more or rearrange. And, and they, the collaboration is really um, uh, very active. It's actively collaborative, not just because it's so large, children need to help each other to, to put it together, but also they're constantly actively figuring out how to do what they want to do. So when they shift from a lemonade stand to a boat and they have to, you know, move this plank to over there, they're, they're constantly collaborating and negotiating and figuring out together. And so it's, it's really rich collaboration experience. Um, yeah, experience. But this is, uh, the rigamajig is designed for indoor play and uh, Angie play is for outdoor play, right? Or mm -hmm. Yeah, Angie play is um, a region of schools in Angie County, China. And, um, well, Angie play started in this region of schools and it was um, developed by Cheng Shuquan. The, uh, she was a, uh, a teacher and then a policy, uh, educational policy um a dignitary of sorts in China. And so she developed this model over the course of 20 or so years now, and it is being adopted um, countrywide in China actually for as the standard for early education. So up to kindergarten mm -hmm. and it's, it's um, completely child directed. The children decide what to do and when to do it for the first two or three hours of the day when they're outside, there are um, about 150 different types of materials from building blocks to sand and water toys to these long ladders and big climbing boxes. And they all have a, a everything is kind of put away. There's a, there's a place and a storage for everything. And the kids just go and they get what they need and they build what they want and, um, or they play with what they want. They don't always build. Sometimes they get art supplies or sometimes they just kind of want to sit quietly under a tree and that's also fine. And then after um, a few hours and it's time to go in and, uh, you know, eat lunch or take a nap or do the, uh, do the kind of um, reflections on the day, which is called play stories where they draw. Uh, there's a, a very rich drawing and communicating element of Anji play. So they reflect and draw what they did. And, and then as a group discuss what they'd done on the playground. And, How um, did you discover Anji play? 
I mean, how did you? Well, yeah, they actually discovered, <laughs> they, they found me they and found said, <laughs> they, they were doing what I knew was ideal, but hadn't been able to actually do in the U.S., which was give children the opportunity to, to have self, self-determination in their play mm-hmm. and take the risks and manage their own risks in a way that they do in Anji play. And in the U.S., we don't let them. So um, it blew my mind also. So I, I, and, and the fact that they were using it, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, my, my goal isn't to kind of own this great way of facilitating play. My goal is that children have this way of facilitating play. Um, you know, so I, the, the intellectual property part of it gets complicated for me because I want the kids to be playing with it. However, if somebody's going to make money from it, it should be me. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we reached out and it took a while, but we became partners with the company. Oh. Um, that was, that was, yeah. You know, and, and mm. they, if they could have bought it in China, then they would have, but at the time there was no way for them to buy it in China. So they made it themselves, which I understand that makes sense. Mm. Right. Um, and then, you know, so I show up, well, here I am. So now you can buy it. So you need to buy it from me. (laughs) Um, and so it's been interesting, but, uh, in the meantime, um, I worked with, uh, Ms. Chung to kind of standardize those 150 materials because as the model grew in China, you know, they needed to be able to more quickly distribute these, the, the different materials, Mm -hmm. like, so that each kindergarten didn't have their own previously, they'd, they'd been working with local uh, fabricators and the local um, carpenter to make the things, which is wonderful. And that's actually ideal. Yeah. But when you scale up, that gets tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I worked for about a year to standardize all the materials and then work with some of the manufacturers in that region with the local materials to kind of mass produce them to share with the other schools in China. That was really fun and very interesting. Prioritizing play is a huge, uh, that, that's kind of a bigger cultural problem. Um, I think also in schools, normally the playground or the outdoor space is kind of an afterthought. It's the thing that gets, you get whatever's left over. Um, and in Anji play schools, it's the opposite of that. They start with the outdoor space and kind of build the structure and the, the indoor space around the outdoor space. And it's, it's very often a courtyard. So, um, and even the classrooms have a, a covered space. So when it's raining, there's still, they're not in between four walls all the time. Mm-hmm. They're still outside. It's just covered. If it is a, if it's seen as something that's as important as um, parking, <laughs> yeah, that's a good... then it'll be prioritized. One of the ways that I think is so smart that Ms. Chung has done is that when they build new schools, she puts them as close as possible to um, like the government buildings Probably. <laughs> and, and strategically because she wants the mayor to look outside and see children playing. Yeah. Det är väldigt fascinerande med Angie Play och det utmanar ju mina fördomar i alla fall om Kina som auktoritärt land att barn röjer runt och leker så här fritt och stökigt. På vår hemsida finns en video från Angie Play där man ser ganska bra hur det kan se ut när de härjar runt. Och så är det underbart att Miss Chang ser till att skolorna ligger så att beslutsfattarna ser dem. Och se barn leka för att aldrig kunna glömma bort hur viktigt det är. Det är en slug stadsplanering som vi önskar få många efterföljare också här i Sverige. Jag tycker också att det är intressant med Cass Design. Att hon undviker glada färger eller referenser till olika sagodjur. Det är liksom rigga med jig 
det är verktyg och byggmaterial och det ser ut som verktyg och byggmaterial och det är också själva poängen att leken ska vara på riktigt. I slutet av intervjun kom vi in på ett annat intressant spår. Alla regler och normer som vuxenvärlden skapar kring barns lek och leksaker och Cass förhållande till det. Why do you think there are so many norms regarding how kids should play and with what? Well, right now, what I hear and what I see is that play needs to be productive. And this is something that is is a is a dangerous balance for me because rigamajig is children do learn you know the science, technology, engineering, art and math skills. There's these 21st century skills of collaboration, um, communication, creativity, and something else. And all of that is is implicit in rigamajig. And and so it can be assessed, but I, I don't want to start assessing the value of play because yes, play is valuable, but I don't want people to start letting their kids play because that'll get them into Harvard. Mm. Right. And that's what's happening. We're seeing and and it's you know the, the term playful learning is used a lot and I believe in playful learning but I also don't want play to have a function that's the opposite of what we want <laughs> we want children to play because it makes us healthy and it and you know um sometimes when I talk about my play in childhood and people say well what did you do I I don't know I mean I played I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing anything yeah. I was playing right I was you know I, I maybe one day I was trying to move a rock yeah. for two hours I have a friend who We, for an entire summer, just tried to get this log across a pond. Yeah. <laughs> and we were obsessed. Every day, that was all we wanted to do. And we talked about it. We tried to figure out how will we get it around there. We, you know, every time we tried to, to straddle it, it would spin. So we couldn't ride the log. We had to. So But was that dangerous? Because another thing that is, I think it's limiting um, the freedom of play, at least in Sweden now, is uh, mm-hmm. that um, the adult world is, is regarding kids' uh, play as uh, something risky something that might uh, cause yeah, I, I bodily know. harm it's, anyway. it's it's so unfortunate because probably those people and many adults who say that i say well what what about you and they're like oh no i mean i ran around with the with an axe in my hand yeah. you know <laughs> i'm like well you have all your fingers why do you think that your kid you know they're like well when we played it was you know we were starting fires and i'm like well then why don't you let your child do that <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean your parents were neglectful. You turned out all right. Let your kids do the same thing. Mm. And also that when they're alone, when children are playing alone amongst other children, they have to manage their own risk. They're aware of what's dangerous and the stakes are higher because nobody's, they don't have somebody who's going to tell them. They have to find their own boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? And if there's an adult there, they know the adult will tell them when to stop. So they're going to keep going until the adult says stop. Whereas if there's no adult there, They have to, amongst themselves and for themselves, manage that 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 border of safety. It's what's safe and not safe, and occasionally push it too far, and maybe you know, like you have to touch a stove in order to know to not get burned, right? You have to fall out of a tree in order to understand why you shouldn't climb that high. <laughs> Det här med att leken ska vara nyttig, att den ska ha ett uttalat mål. Och leda till att utveckla vissa färdigheter. Varför har vi så himla svårt att släppa det tror du? Ja att allt ska vara värdeskapande går ju igen i mycket. Det är en stark norm tror jag helt enkelt. Playful learning, det låter kanske bra men det är viktigt att påminna sig det som Cass säger. Att leken inte ska vara måluppfyllande. Barn ska leka för att de mår bra av det och för att det är livsnödvändigt för deras utveckling. 
Cass Holmans tankar, idéer och design bottnar ju en djup förståelse för barns lek. Men också en kampvilja att visa världen hur viktig leken är. I am empowering children to change the world, som hon säger i Netflix-dokumentären. Mm, det var fantastiskt att få möjlighet att prata med henne och höra om hur hon jobbar. På arvetshållstiftelsen.se finns bilder och länkar om du vill se mer om vad Cass jobbar med. Och det hade ju varit väldigt kul om vi kunde få se Rigamajig i Sverige. Det kanske är någon där ute som vill plocka upp det. Ja, verkligen. Det finns också plats här för lite Angie Play, mm. tror jag. Avslutningsvis får Cass Holman berätta om bakgrunden till det briljanta namnet som hon har gett sitt företag. Heroes Will Rise. Och hur det sammanfattar hela hennes filosofi som designer och lekaktivist. I think you have such a brilliant name on your company, Heroes Will Rise. Um, yeah. It's also very brave in a way. Yeah, yes. How did you end up calling your company Heroes Will Rise? When I lived in San Francisco, there was a, a friend of mine who did graffiti and one of my favorite pieces of hers said Lovers Will Rise. And I, I liked it so much and, you know, in conversations and in, in thinking about what I wanted of my my designs i want i want children to rise up to to have agency and and understand and 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 have empathy and understand each other and and want to do what's right for them instead of what's right for capitalism <laughs> so yeah that's the i think at the heart of our mission is that the child comes first and play comes first you know if the child comes first then play comes first <laughs> That's a wonderful way to wrap it up. I think. Yeah, really. Yeah, thank you for having me. Vad har fastnat mest hos dig av vad Cass har sagt? Att hon med sin lekdesign utmanar en väldigt konventionell lekindustri genom att göra leksaker som inte ser ut som vi är vana vid. Och du? Jag tar med mig hennes förmåga att på djupet relatera till barn och till lek utan att för den skulle pracka på någon sina egna erfarenheter av lek. Jag tycker det var utan att se att det finns många olika sammanhang och många olika sätt att leka och det vill hon uppmuntra till och ge möjligheter för. Men då säger vi hej då. Mm, det tycker jag. Mm. Hej då! Hej då! Hej då!